Let's get back to toys with a beautiful question and answer session kicked off by Facebook questions. And also, I want to address some very important changes that are going on regarding shipping, the workshop, how we do things, and uh, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to lead to a much better outcome for everybody. So first, let's talk shipping, let's talk fulfillment. The store is closed right now, and the workshop is torn asunder as my very generous neighbor, Sam and I, put in an entirely new workstation. These will be standing desks lining one half of the workshop, and this will allow me to organize all the product, have it sitting out in front of a surface that I can slide people's orders down and pick out the different components they've ordered and in a very cohesive, linear fashion, get better at fulfillment. I think this is going to really help, uh, you know, reduce the amount of errors and omissions that have been going on, which admittedly I'm not doing better at. I think I'm actually doing worse, but we're on the precipice of fixing that. Um, For patrons out there, There is some sort of clerical error, probably a human error. I don't want to blame a computer glitch here. There was some issue with Patreon pre-orders in this last batch of fulfillment. I have not quite gotten to what the exact culprit is, but as many people have noticed, when we combine shipping on ShipStation, which is a third-party app that I use to sort of organize and print labels. Uh, it gives very crazy shipping updates to you guys. It tells you items that are not shipping have shipped. Uh, it combines certain orders but omits some items. And I can't quite get to the bottom of what is going on here that is making so many errors pop up But I do know that it is only affecting orders that have uh, multiple sort of transactions combined into a single invoice. So I know what the the sort of uh, symptom is of the problem. I just have to figure out how I can kind of combine orders, get you accurate shipping information, and not have entire items go missing or ship separately. So, uh, you know, I appreciate the people that have reached out. Everybody's been really great and really patient. I think most people know it's just me flying solo for the foreseeable future. Um, And I'm working on it. I'm very dedicated to giving you guys a better sort of delivery experience. And uh, I think one, having this new workshop built out to spec and having everything laid out and properly organized and reachable instead of like, you know, acting like Catherine Zeta-Jones diving under red laser security systems. Um, This is going to help things tremendously. And then figuring out whatever is going on when we combine orders that is dropping off certain items. Um, If I can just nail these two things down, I think it's going to be a better experience. And I do apologize for any shipping errors. And uh, you guys are very tremendously patient. <laughs> it's been five years of this stuff happening. Um, it will get better. And this is sort of my main focus. This is the reason why the store is closed right now. This is why I'm taking the next four days to get this shit sorted out. Because it's really super important to me. And uh, I do appreciate your unwavering support in the matter. Before I get to Facebook questions, I got a, uh, a long email from a longtime fan. This is a original Rex Gannon OG fan and close friend of mine, Matt Connolly. Uh, he's asked an entire email full of really excellent questions. I'm going to go through them rapid fire. Some of these I cannot answer for narrative reasons. So um, if I feel like an answer is going to spoil something, I'm simply going to say no comment. And you can understand that there is something to be resolved soon in the story that would be tipping my hand at 
to speak to it. So uh, I'm going to go through rapid fire. We're going to do this together. Hopefully I can answer more than I can't answer at this time. So we start off, the vector in its many forms and worlds is a large corporate overlord that monitors all vector activities. Um, I would say that there are several. Uh, what we will see in the near future is that there is actually going to be a sort of concerted policing effort for the vector and vector anomalies. But any large corporation in the world of Nice and Slice is going to have an interest in monitoring vector activities. What we can say is that nobody, no corporate entity owns the vector. It is sort of bigger than a corporate structure, thankfully. Um, does somebody host these worlds on its servers and may bend, and could they bend reality to serve its own agenda? Um, so, ho I, I take issue with the word host and the word worlds. <laughs> <laughs> and server, because I think that's too um, modern-day tech of a parlance to truly understand and appreciate how different levels, as as they're called, work within um, the vector. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a host entity, but that there are what we would know and experience as bosses, you know, that have some level of influence on these levels, to repeat the same word in the same sentence. Um, could they bend reality to serve their own agenda? I, I think that as much as the fabric of the vector can be bent, people are always and historically have tried to bend it to their will. Whether or not that actually works, I think, is an interesting thing to explore. How does Hackerman play a role with, uh, you know, the the vector and the hosts and the servers and bending it to its reality? Um, as I've said before, I, I've drawn the illusion that um, Hackerman are sort of an extremely psychotic paramilitary wing. So, uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Keep, I think that's the right name of it, right? Is it The Gate or The Keep? Oh boy, I'm gonna have to look this up right now. Hold on, because I want to make sure I'm being accurate. The movie with Molasar. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, The Keep. So in the movie The Keep, there, uh... There is a there's a German national army that are stationed in this this old uh, fortress, and then the SS show up, and the German army obviously wasn't up to any good in World War II, but the SS were really up to no good, and that's putting it mildly by every uh, every measurable metric. So um, Hackerman to me occupy that role of a sort of terror troop, you know, of soldiers whose sole purpose is to create as much carnage as possible to shock populations into submission. Um, so in a lot of respects, the hackermen are, you know, they're the bruisers, they're the big bads of these various vector levels. Uh, since a device ninja is a robotic-style being, could a vector world be hosted within a device ninja's brain or circuits? This is a really interesting concept. Um, I have not thought enough about it to comment at this time, but I like where your head's at. I like this line of thinking. Could such a world within a device ninja, for instance, support an entire city of micros beings? If the device ninja should be destroyed, would that micros environment also perish? Or would that, would those lives be backed up on a server somewhere? Uh, so you're sort of getting to the picture within a picture within a picture uh, idea, which is a very important concept of Knights of the Slice as well as the fabric of our reality. Uh, but for narrative reasons, I can't speak too much on this. Wait for the onion to be unwrapped. Device ninjas seem to have a larger purpose 
yet they are seldom seen or talked about in the lore. Will we see more plot twists and action with these incredible characters in the future? Um, I think so. I think Device Ninjas still have a role to play. Um, they are largely smaller in the lore of Knights of the Slice because the narrative standpoint where most of the story takes place uh, for Knights of Slice is based in America. And the largest field of operation for Device Ninjas is Japan and, to some extent, the Pacific Rim. So just by virtue of our storytelling not yet being Japan-centric, which I hope to get to someday, a lot of their activity is shrouded in mystery, and we are only we only see it at tip of the iceberg in terms of when they come into contact with um, our sort of main story, which, granted, is a very ethnocentric way of looking at it, but uh, I can only be in so many places at once. Moving on, if Radic was to enter a vector that lived in another being, could his very own identity be hijacked or compromised while in the vector state? Could a Micros being inhabit a living flesh and blood being? Will Rex and Radic team up to rumble with vector villains? So to answer the last question first, who's to say Rex and Radic haven't already teamed up? Um, there's probably only one other person <laughs> in the world who knows the answer to that, and that's Gavin Mackey. And we're quite some time away from being able to share that answer with people. Um, if Radic were to enter the ve vector that lived in another being, which again is a theoretical, um, could his own identity be hijacked or compromised while he's in the vector state? Uh, this is an erroneous question because you are assuming that Radic is a flesh and blood being, or a single being, or a being whose consciousness and will is his own. Um, these are good questions to ask. These are the sort of things I contemplate all the time and and, and still discovering for myself. Um, but I think that you're thinking far too IRL about Radic. That's, that's what I would nudge you in the direction of. Uh, could a Micros being inhabit a living flesh and blood being? Um... Well, I guess that's that's really a question of tangibility in some respects. Uh, we know that micros are sort of ancient computers. There is probably a bioelement to the, the the composure of their bodies. I, I don't think that they are 100% a mechanical device. I think there is some level of cellular interaction with these with these machines. Um, we do not know the extent of their consciousness, their ability to project, uh, if they could sort of, th you know, throw their consciousness into somebody. This just, it hasn't been explored, it hasn't been encountered. Uh, the Micros are still largely a very mysterious force, not unlike Uatu the Watcher in Marvel. You know, they are um, rarely glimpsed. They seem to be extinct with the arrival of Final Micro Cyber Mama. And, uh, but I, I like the spirit of these questions, and I think these are these are good things to ponder. Moving on, when Radic isn't being a private vector detective, is it true he dons an old knight helmet and gauntlet when he works at a CD cyber club and goes by the name Nightclub? That was great. What a perfect setup. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, would the blood capsule attract a vector vampire? Does the blood capsule drain whoever enters it of their blood and inject them with Vect? So somebody has been reading the item descriptions in our store, and I always appreciate that. The extent and the implications of the blood capsule have not been revealed yet. They they do exist. They are clearly defined, and we are very close to seeing what they do. And uh, I dare say you're very close to hitting the bullseye on this. Moving on, would the cowboy greet Shikan by calling him a pilgrim? I think, you know, based on the, the hat and the belt buckle alone, he'd, he'd have to. So ten more points for that joke. Vect, is this your brain on Vect? Any questions? This is your brain on Vect. Any questions? This is the street value of Vect. Who, uh, would those addicted to Vect be easily controlled by Martian? Marson, God, I can't read. And the Trilobite Empire... 
Um, again, we're very close to exploring that, so I, I can't, I can't show you my cards just yet. Is Marson from Mars? I am happy to announce, yes, Marson is a son of Mars. Uh, does he know about Rex Gannon and the Sword of Mars? So this is another great obscure throwback to the early stages of Rex Gannon, uh, a short sort of story told through paintings at a gallery exhibit. Um, detailed Rex Gannon's life on Mars and what he went through and how he almost died there. Um, I don't know if a the average Martian knows or cares about Rex Gannon, and his time on Mars was so very short that uh, I doubt it's even a blip in their sort of history. Does Dune Surfer use Mr. Zog's sex wax for excellent grip? Of course, there is no other option. You gotta go with Mr. Zog. Is there a group of mechanics and engineers that repair vector jumpsuits and armor, as well as capsules and such? As one would not want to break down a strange place with no place with no way to return home. Where has Dive Ben Bomb uh, Dive Bomb Ben lately? I think there are some newbies here that can use his skills and training. These are great questions. Um, I would assume that vector suits and armor, as well as capsules, are not well-known tech, and there are probably only a few specialists that can repair these things. And it would be very bad if you got stuck in the vector or you did a vector jump and ended up in a time that was less than hospitable to you with no way to return. And I can only assume that this has happened for some unlucky travelers in the past. Um, where has Dive Bomb been? It's a great question. It seems as if knights either don't live very long or take a retirement pretty early. We do know Dive Bomb had a full, illustrious career in the military, likely as a drill sergeant, and was older than the standard recruit of Knights of the Slice. One can only assume he has taken some sort of retirement package. I do not believe he has been killed in action or suffered any uh, undue fate. Can a Rift Killer in Desert Rat disguise visit Subcity in a raft? Would you call it a rift raft rat? <laughs> That's another good one. You got me. Alexander, is he friend or foe of the Trilobite King? Or part of a larger supernatural battle for world domination? Um, that's a great question. We will see Alexander again. And I think until that time, I'm not willing to divulge any more about the would-be conqueror. Chaos King seems to be leaving clues everywhere, but with so much power and strange happenings and the appearance of Cyber Mama, I have a bad feeling about what is to arrive next. Uh, I got a bad feeling too. And maybe we're going to find out together. What sort of space vehicle is Rex traveling to explore off-world? Um, you know, these these Vector capsules, the, the Zoner capsule, capsule version 2, is very popular right now, and it's a cheap way for interstellar and interdimensional travel so i'd have to admit that's what he's uh he's going with when are rex and vaughn going to get the band back together and have some adventures i very much want this to happen i want to sculpt a vaughn head i have an older sculpt of vaughn but i i don't think it's quite up to snuff with some of the other heads and he's very high on my list of, you know, for a character to um, add to the line. So, I want it to happen. I want them to have a proper reunion, and I want them to get back to having adventures, for sure. I do think that if Vaughn is ultimately siding with Alexander and has undergone this weird Frankenslice transmutation, um, they might have to have a battle to sort this stuff out. Grasshopper Knight... Does his insect head protect him from bugs and viruses that can be found in the vector? Does he leave a minty chocolate cloud in self-defense? He does sort of look like a minty candy, right? His coloring uh, reminds me a little bit of Andy's. Did you ever eat those minty chocolates? They're pretty good. Um, Grasshopper Knight 
does not have to worry about uh, things in the vector because he largely is a creature of the vector, or more specifically, of Cybermama's design utilizing sort of technologies of the vector that we don't yet understand. Um, but he is coming up for sale, the extras of him, on February 3rd, so there might be a little narrative that gets kicked around, and maybe a little character art too, coming soon to us. Should we be nervous that there is a surge of Hyper Knights appearing at an alarming rate, and how much more dangerous are the Hyper Micros Knights? Are we heading for a vector war of a scale we've not seen yet? Uh, I would say, much like our real life, the, the world of Knights of Slice is on a very, very thin razor's edge. And war is a very distinct possibility, but we're talking interdimensional war, where it's not even beings of our own plane of reality we need to be concerned about. it. It's much bigger, and with much bigger stakes. Why is Reed's face all cut up? Who did such damage? He is brash in his skill, and he is brash with his skills, but does have a rival? Does he have a rival that is bested him more than once? I, honestly, I gotta stop doing these Q and A's at nighttime because I'm totally tapped out. Um, Reed's face is not actually cut up. He uh, just has a lot of craggy lines. You know, think of him as a sort of Dick Tracy type character, or maybe a Gordon Ramsay. He's just very craggy. He's sort of squinty, you know, a, a younger Robert De Niro, if you will. Um, now, admittedly, kind of a hard idea to sort of show off at such a small scale. So we have to make do with simple temple prints to do our best to communicate that idea. Um, does he have a rival? I mean, I think Reed probably on some level feels Cybermama is a rival to him because... She has a unfathomable power. And what Reed wants more than anything else, I think, is just to be the best and be the best at as many things as he can be. But at the end of the day, he is largely relatively human. And his abilities, while augmented through hypernite armor pieces and things like that, they pale in comparison to the sheer, raw, otherworldly abilities of Cybermama. Another email question from Adam Paulus, who uh, runs 16bit.com, and uh, is really one of the great historians of the toy industry, and one of the early adapters to the internet, message boards, blogging, things like that. Always enjoyed Adam's work. He says, he asks, I got my neon pink Cybermom in the mail, and lordy, there are more pieces in here than I expected. Incredible. I was wondering, how does one get the sword blade? Or what is that piece that goes in there? So I can get one. I don't know if it's sold separately or part of this. And Adam, I'm happy to tell you that the caster wand, as it's called, takes a open market style of glow stick. And you can order these by the hundreds or by the dozens on Amazon. They're very cheap. I used to sell them in the store, and uh, I just got tired of putting these tiny pieces in a baggie every time someone ordered them. And I think I've, I've run through my stock anyway. So uh, I'm perfectly happy for people to uh, just buy them in bulk, crack them and use them. It's a really fun sort of uh, play pattern. I've always been fascinated with light sticks. And uh, I really loved the Lords of Light obscure toy line from the 80s that um, featured hollow torsos that you would put a light stick into. And this is a gimmick I've wanted to add to Knights of the Slice since the very beginning. The original Skull Grimson prototype was going to utilize this ability for the torso. Um, I quickly realized that it wasn't necessarily feasible because um, to have the illumination work correctly, you would have to do ABS plastic, and it would have to be two pieces of a torso instead of one piece. Then 
You also have, with ABS, a, a higher breakage rate, much more fragile type of plastic, so that would require a blister to protect the figure while it's being shipped. It would not be a figure that could be shipped in the simple low-waste poly bags that we use, and uh, it just would incur so much cost it was not worth it at the time, and honestly, I don't know that we will see that uh, torso ever happen for these very concerns. Cliff Uchida on Facebook asks, um, bah, bah, bah. For Toy Pizza Con or Designer Con, have you thought about doing a true create a night figure? As in, let customers pick out pieces randomly from several boxes. Uh, bah, bah, bah. I remember one of the bootleg action figures booth had this done before in one of the previous decons. I thought this was ideal, would be perfect for Knights of the Slice. Yes, I have thought about this a lot. I would also say that Decon never did that again, right? Because it is, it's really quite an undertaking. Um, I want to do this. We have the parts to do this. The challenge is, it is hard to put together Glyos figures. Um, They are so sturdy, and they're built that way. But snapping and swapping and switching parts can be... Uh, challenging, and it can be challenging to people who have no experience with Glyos. And to do it correctly, we would need a hot box, which is the sort of, uh, you know, unofficial, uh, very unscientific process us Glyos makers use in superheating the parts to pop them apart and do uh, the, the things we need to do before our sales. And uh, because of those reasons, I just haven't been able to find a way to do this that is a worthwhile experience for people who are not in the know with Glyos. And it's also important to remember that not everybody, not every customer actually swaps these figures. There's a good portion of customers that just leave these in the bag. Um, And then there's a, you know, a bigger portion that open these and might do one or two swaps, but don't do any building. And then there's a small, but really dedicated portion of the fan base that are builders and really, you know, order multiples and dig in and and have Tupperware bins full of loose parts. Um, So I definitely am thinking along these lines, but haven't come up with a way to overcome the kind of tactile challenges that go along with with Glyos building. So um, I do believe I need some more time to contemplate. Moving on, Scott Page. By the way, Scott... I gotta send you an email. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna draft one right now because I got something for you. And I hope I see you at the Clutter Gallery opening, which uh, all of you should go to if you're gonna be local on February 8th, coming up very, very soon, actually. Scott says, how does the coronavirus and the inevitable breakdown of society impact your production? (sighs) I don't know. It's... Much like everything else at the moment, it's on a razor's edge. I am not leaping to any conclusions until there is very concise information. But needless to say, this entire business is predicated on China and China's people being healthy and not under quarantine. I have non-business related non-selfish reasons for wanting them to be okay and wanting this virus to uh, be handled. Um, But there is a very real material practicality that um, if things go bad over there, uh, it could be very bad here. I think that the majority of independent toy creators will probably be out of business. Um, I would have the ability, Assume, let's assume the worst case scenario and China is completely closed off for the foreseeable future for a year's time. I have maybe, I have maybe six months of product I could release. I don't think I would be able to fulfill my obligation to Action Figure of the Month 2020, so I would probably have to issue refunds. Um, I would gear up 3D printing, I would try to utilize some of the stock bodies I have here with new 3D printed parts, but that is not going to be as nice of an experience as these uh, mass manufactured pieces of plastic we love so much. 
So um, I think I would fare better than most, but um, I would probably be out of business within 18 months. I, you know, I don't think I could fill the commitments I already have. Um, it's really scary, and you know, uh, I'm trying not to go too far down that thinking. Uh, regarding the breakdown of society, that portion I kind of welcome, and I think maybe we'll build a better one. Anyway, moving on, Chris Loris, is the February Action Figure of the Month colorway something that we will possibly see more of? Um, I would say if we do see any more of this type, which is not, thank you for not spoiling what it is, for whatever reason, this month, everyone's been really exceptional about no spoilers. These have been out in the ether for more than a week now. Uh, Granted, fulfillment was kind of staggered, so some people got these quite a few days after the first wave went out. But uh, you guys have been really commendable, honestly. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're so respectful to each other. It's, it's quite inspiring. Um, uh, if there are any more, if I play this, these notes again, it will not be very often. So if you like this style, you know, maybe there's one left in me. Maybe there's two left in me, but it's not going to be something I do a lot of. I'm not going to do every character we have this way. I want to keep it special, um, but I hope you appreciate it. It's it's a fun one. That was Cabaret Voltaire, and that leads me to my next question from Chris Solis. What do I think of Cabaret Voltaire? And why is nihilism out of fashion in art? Um, I gotta be honest, I, for whatever reason, I don't think I've ever heard of Cabaret Voltaire. I don't recognize any of these songs, but uh, pretty instantly likable. Pretty much on point with my, my mood lately. Um, why is nihilism out of fashion in art? Because I... I I agree with you it is, and I think it is because we are dealing with nihilism in day-to-day life. Uh, You know, whether it's the healthcare crisis, which I've spoken at great length, um, or, uh, you know, the uh, climate crisis. I I think (laughs) the existential dread, we don't have to look to art for it. We are experiencing it in every waking second. So I think it's kind of out of fashion. And uh, I would love to get to the point where these crushing forces are not uh, so present so that we could fantasize into nihilism rather than it being a practicality of uh, day-to-day moments. Mark Spod, does the green O'Neill Saima come with her extra chest pieces? Uh, it does not. You know, O'Neill... Um, Cybermama is, is a multi-tool figure. There are different tools for different components of her... And uh, O'Neill ran her uh, only in part and uh, with other tools such as the Device Ninja and Rift Killer. So it, it's, it, I don't think that thinking of Cyber Mama as her first incarnation that I offered is the correct way to envision her as a product because she is really many, many different components and is made to wear a lot of different outfits. So um, these first couple of releases that really encompass all of her parts, that's probably not going to happen too much in the future, if at all. She really will be living and breathing as a, a almost a Frankenslice creation. You know, she will be regularly paired with other pieces um, as new styles of her are introduced. Philip Barrara asks, with Meteor 2 being a success, would it be possible to see a Terra Branford-themed figure? Um, I think yeah, Terra is so important to me and so important to so many people that I think if I'm going to do her, it needs to be a new head sculpt. So um, I probably would not try to make an homage to Terra uh, without a new sort of female look. Um, but that being said, maybe there's something FF-themed coming down the pipe at some point. Gabriel Tovar, 
I don't have a question in mind at the moment. I just wanted to say that so far for 2020, you guys have been churning out some awesome figures. Thank you, Gabriel. That's why we do it. We do it for the acclaim and the applause. Do I have any intentions of doing a lower body accessory set? Are you talking about penises? Is that what this is about? Is that what you you come into this Q&A thread and demand an attachable penis? Come on. Be Ryan Gloss. Get with it, man. Um, no, I don't think so. I think accessory set-wise, the, the things that communicate character are typically head sculpts, right? Because that instantly changes a toy and gives it new meaning, gives it new personality. Uh, so I think accessory sets are largely going to be focused on the head and, you know, interesting tools that uh, can supplement that. Snakepike asks, uh, can we get a full breakdown of the drop on 2-3? I want to map out how I'm going to handle this one. What toy line am I into right now? And uh, he states that he found the Toy Pizza YouTube channel while looking for 2014 San Diego Comic-Con visits. And he saw our two-pack with reaction. After that, he subscribed. And eventually, he saw the Knights of the Slice grow into what they are today. Well, that's interesting. Um, full breakdown of the store. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it is. Right now, as I said, we're doing construction in the workshop. Everything's a mess. But what I think will be on sale is that first wave of subsidy supply drop figures. So that's uh, Grasshopper Knight, that is Final Micros Saima, that is Meteor 2, and Device Ninja Logo. I think those are the four, pretty sure. Um, there will also be a small amount of Cyber Mama Keeg, which uh, was restocked. It's not, a, it's not a great deal of them, but uh, they will be there. And then there will be a hyper small amount of uh, of um, action figure of the month for January. There is no uh, sort of second chance sale on action figure of the month February. I had exactly the the amount I needed. Oh, Riley wants to say hi to everybody. Okay, I know it sounds like he's dying. That's just. How he talks, I can't quite explain it. Quentin Russo asks, Did I pick up any of the Toxic Crusaders from Super 7? You're goddamn right I did. When they were first announced, I put a reminder in my calendar. And uh, I I didn't order the full set. In honesty, I've, uh, I was kind of afraid of Toxie as a kid. I was exposed to um, Toxic Avenger, the... the um, you know, live-action trauma film. I think my older brother was watching it, and it was so terrifying to me, even though it's kind of campy and a comedy. Um, I detested the look of Toxie. I thought he was really quite scary-looking. Um, and while I, I, I loved the sort of revision to the characters that the cartoon provided... I still never felt a connection to Toxie and, and still... Oh my god, my cat is going nuts. What the hell? He's ready for his, uh, his big podcast debut, for sure. Um, so anyway, I didn't order the full set. I ordered Dr. Killamoff, the um, soldier, the ranger figure, radiation ranger, is that it? Um, and my absolute favorite character from the line, Major Disaster. I think there's a great sort of swamp thing major disaster connection that's uh, really quite fantastic. I, I love the look of these figures. I love the card art. I love that the accessories have essentially been shrunk down and we're getting glow-in-the-dark accessories. That's very cool. So um, I say long live this line and uh, I'm looking forward to more characters from it. Also a quick note, Super 7 have such amazing instincts about picking characters for their assortment. They're doing that six-inch turtle line. And who do they have in the first wave? Splinter, Foot Soldier, Baxter Stockman. Like, any other company would have just done the four turtles, and it would have taken several waves to get to those other characters, especially Baxter Stockman. But Brian and Josh and their team, they have such good instincts for 
look, everybody's going to buy Donatello when it's eventually released. What can we do to add diversity and an interesting look to the first assortment? And you see them apply this, this sort of, you know, almost obscure fan service theory to a lot of the assortments that they choose. And I think Toxic Crusaders is a good example. Brian said on Instagram, he always loved Major Disaster. And, uh, you know, that's part of the reason he's in there as opposed to, you know, I don't know, No Zone or somebody who, who got a little bit more sort of visibility in the series or on marketing. Um, so I just want to call that out because I think it's pretty brilliant and I hope they continue to go down that path. Jeff Ely asks, any more ninjas in the pipeline? Uh, yes, we have our logo device ninja, which uh, was designed by Nikki Fung. It's totally his baby. That will be in the store on 2-3. Um, there's a fair amount of inventory. That was one of the uh, lesser pre-ordered items of Subsidy Supply Drop. So I feel like that SKU may be in store for a while, so you guys probably have time to do it. Uh, if I get through construction quickly enough and I can uh, type this all out, I will let you know what I think the inventory levels are so that people can focus on just the things they need, not the items that will still be in the store long after the sale. Um, I'll make a mental note to do that. We got a great long comment from Eric Faraday. Just watched Snowpiercer. Uh, I believe this was on my recommendation. What struck me the most, other than the film itself, is how they were able to make the screenplay of such a ludicrous film flow and actually work. In the wrong hands, that premise would have been a cheesy disaster. I then went to read about the film, and that's where my question comes. Did you know Harvey Weinstein was the distributor for this film because the director would not edit it up like Weinstein wanted, and Weinstein played a power trip move and gave it a limited release only in a few theaters? Likewise, the Academy completely and unfairly overlooked it. When their solid cases made, it should have been nominated for a handful of Oscars and won at least one. As an artist and businessman, who I am sure has seen had similar experiences, how do you process this unfairness we observe, and what tactics and approach do you do to keep from moving forward without carrying the weight of a growing bitterness, knowing that it's a big name, often, most often controlled by the powers that be? Um, so there's a lot in here, right? Um, one, I, I worked adjacent to Hollywood for a long time, and, and I've been employed by different film studios, so... I guess maybe not as adjacent as I'd like to think. Um, I, I guess I mentally there's a divide for me because I've always been based in New York and the majority of Hollywood, not Hollywood the locale, but Hollywood the idea is really California based. So there's always been somewhat of a buffer zone. But, um, you know, uh, no surprise there. Um, it's, I guess it is surprising because Harvey Weinstein seems like such a great guy otherwise. I really can't think of any other scandals or any other bad moves he's made. Um, this shit happens all the time. There's a there's a fantastic movie you guys should watch. This is less about um, a gigantic uh, sort of mogul controlling things and more about a individual artist imploding. Um, there's also a familial connection for me to uh, this movie and this person. But you should watch Overnight... Uh, the Troy Duffy story. Uh, it's, the, it's the gentleman who wrote Boondock Saints. Uh, he is a distant relative of mine. And um, that is a really fantastic look at how things typically work out in Hollywood, especially when they start off in a very atypical fashion, in a very fortuitous break fashion. Um, I highly recommend that movie. Everybody should watch it. It's quite fantastic. Um, what I, how I think about these things as an artist is, um, I think that that's everybody's fate, that they will be controlled by moneyed people, uh, should they play that game and get into the system. For me, I'm not interested in playing that game or getting into the system, and if I ever did, it would only be with, you know, with people who are there on the ground that could protect my interest and vision and things like that. But 
but immediately I'm not interested in that stuff. Um, we have a self-sustaining commune here. Um, you know, for the time being, it makes enough money. Um, I can pay my bills and I can create more and more new toys. And while I would love there to spontaneously be an animated series that's true to my ideas and a, you know, a movie with very little CGI and a lot of practical effects, um, I still get to tell the stories I want to tell. Uh, they just may not be in a format that is sort of good for, uh, you know, a, a binge-watching, let's say. So, I think that um, stories like that are very common. It just reinforces what I already know to be true, that when, when and if we ever have to rely on other people to make Knights of the Slice bigger, there's going to be a loss of control. And um, it's probably better for me to hold off on ever taking that leap or ever collaborating until I know that, um, you know, the majority of variables are under my watch and my decision. I do also agree that, you know, the premise of Snowpiercer is, is pretty wacky. I mean, it's, it's, a, a, uh, it's a French sci-fi comic, right? And if you've ever dove into Metal Huron or, uh, you know, Mobius or even kind of like the, just the European sci-fi, like Yodorovsky and, and um, uh, be, 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 I can't think of the publisher. Um, if you've ever dipped into that stuff, it is really esoteric and weird and abstract. Um, but they did a great job of, like you said, you know, having it have a flow and, and work. And I think that uh, one of the writing lessons that stuck with me. And I think I picked this up. I went to um, a Pixar weekend uh, sort of tutorial class where a bunch of the creators from Pixar came and gave, it, gave a talk in Manhattan and um, went through things like character design and, and how, to, how Pixar writes a story and, you know, really shared this entire toolbox of best practices that that still informed me to today. It was it was a great thing that I attended it. And one of the things they said was, um, the audience will believe anything you explain clearly and directly. And if you think about it, Pixar usually have some pretty fantastical things they're communicating, pretty fantastical settings. They have a house that's suspended by air balloons and floating around. That's silly. That's crazy. That's ungrounded, literally. But we buy into it because it's explained to us very clearly and very directly. And um, the world of Knights of the Slice, especially today, five years in, is so bizarre and crazy and involves time travel and transdimensional warping and synthetic characters and, you know, the contemplation between your real life and your online life and all these things. And I feel like to the extent it works. It works because I have the opportunity to explain these things, and I try to do so clearly and directly where the narrative allows me to do that. So um, for those would-be creative types out there, you can get away with anything. You can create any world you want. You can have fantastical creatures and beings as long as you take the time to set it up and explain it carefully to the audience. One last thing before I go, I watched a film last night that really stuck with me. Uh, it was first reformed by Paul Schrader, who wrote uh, Taxi Driver. And since then, he's written and directed a lot of films. Uh, this stars Ethan Hawke as a priest in a small church in uh, Albany, way, way upstate New York. Um, boy, it is a disturbing film. I, and it is not what I expected, and I don't think it's what most people expect. Uh, if you like 
dark and contemplative movies. If you really like cinema, if you don't care about big budget films and action films and stuff like that, but you like well-written, well-acted, well-directed films that ask a lot of existential questions, this is a, a good film. And uh, if anybody else has seen it, I would love to discuss it, so drop me a line. Um, it, you know, if you think about Taxi Driver and how it, the tension keeps getting ramped up and up and up to this bloody crescendo, um, I found myself watching this movie and, and thinking that this is just Taxi Driver with a priest in some respects. <laughs> and that is, uh, that's kind of a misdirection, but um, I couldn't help but feel that way. Uh, I think Paul Schrader is a really fantastic artist. And uh, to be able to write so well and write dialogue so well and also be able to direct the hell out of a very dreary setting, you know, upstate New York in the wintertime is no picnic for the eyes. Uh, it's really quite something. And not, not enough people were sort of talking about this film. I think it is way more topical and urgent in today's environment than they let on in the marketing, which is smart. They did not sort of broadcast what the actual theme of this movie is. I went in expecting one thing and got something very different. Um, so I would recommend First Reformed, check it out. And I want to know what you think about it because it's sort of too big of a film for one person to digest themselves. I need the group mind on this one. Uh, so thank you guys. Have a happy Friday. Have a great weekend. I'll be... Uh, covered in sawdust, using a uh, circular saw to chop up what will be the new work area in the workshop, and um, hopefully this is going to solve some of our ongoing shipping issues. And thank you for hanging in there. Have a great weekend.